I had a little fun in writing the sermon title for this week's sermon. We're going to be talking about Balaam's donkey from the Old Testament, and I called it from the mouth of an ass. Um, and it, when it can, if you pass the church sign, uh, it came out great because it says 1030 a.m. church from the mouth of an ass, Reverend Jordan Rimmer. <laughs> and uh, I feel like a period or something might have helped the sign just a little bit. Uh, we are going to be a little bit playful with it um, this morning. Uh, I didn't know this. I posted a picture of the sign on Facebook and one of my seminary professors wrote a message on it and said, you know, for most of the early translations, it always was ass. And there was a particular guy named Bruce Medsker, who was a Bible translator, who didn't think it was appropriate to say that in church. And so he's the one that first started the change to donkey in the scriptures. But today we're going to be reading from the King James Version so that we get the full effect of the word. Um, so we're going to be in Numbers chapter 22. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be reading various selections as we go through um, because it's uh, a longer story. I'm not reading all of it. I'm going to be reading pieces of it. But I need you to get some background to the story. This is the book of Numbers, which is not just about numbers, although there's a lot of numbers in there. Um, it is a book that is, is taking place while the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness. If you remember, they went to the promised land and they sent some spies in. And most of the spies were terrified of the people that were in there, didn't believe God would give them the land. And so because of that, God made them wander the desert for 40 years until the next generation came along. And then they were going to be allowed to go into the promised land. So at, at this point... The Israelites are wandering around in the desert, moving from place to place. And uh, what happens occasionally is, as Israel's moving around, nations will feel threatened by them and attack them. And uh, when you go and attack Israel, generally you, you get a fight back. That has not changed, really, in a really long time. That's still to this day, when you pick a fight with Israel, you've got a fight coming. And uh, so that's what happens in the Old Testament in, as they're traveling. And uh, one, one city, one nation really, a small nation has already fallen to these traveling Israelites. And uh, Moab is a, another nation kind of there on the outskirts of Israel that also starts to feel threatened by this. The king of Moab is a man named Balak. And Balak is nervous. He's nervous about these people. And so he does what people do in those days. He calls a prophet. This was a very superstitious, a lot of people were very superstitious back in those days. They wanted to hear prophets, they wanted to hear seers, they wanted to read signs and read the stars. Kind of interesting in our culture today that that's coming back. Uh, more and more people are reading horoscopes, you see more and more people that are reading palms and doing that kind of thing. I mean, look at movies that are coming out in our day today. A lot of them are about vampires and about all kinds of weird spiritual stuff that, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, they just weren't making movies like that the same way, or they were considered weird, not mainstream. People are, again, kind of superstitious and much more open to spiritual things. And so Balaam is like this, and he, and he calls, or Balak is like this, and he calls a prophet named Balaam, who is the, the person we're going to be talking about a lot uh, today. And so we are catching up now in Balak sending word to Balaam that he wants to have him come. And so I'm in Numbers 22, verse 5. He, that's King Balak, sent messengers, therefore, to Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, 
to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of e- from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we sh- may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessed, blessest is blessed. And he whom thou cursest is cursed. You can see this is definitely King James Version. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with their rewards of divination in their hands. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again as the Lord might speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people coming out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Skipping a little bit, Balaam goes, tells them that word. They take it back to Balak, and Balak does not like that. So he sends even more important people back to him. And verse 18, And Balak answered and said unto them, the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me a house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of God, my, of the Lord my God, to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. And God came unto Balaam that night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. So we see in this first part of the story, we'll stop there and we're going to get back to it in a few minutes. Balaam is a prophet, but he's a prophet really for hire. He's sort of a mercenary prophet. He doesn't really work for the temple, right? Because there is no temple. He's not Jewish. He's a prophet for hire. He's sort of a tarot card reader, if you will. But interesting, he does talk to God. And God does talk to him. But he's, he's a prophet for hire. He likes prestige. He likes money. In fact, we see this in the Old Testament a lot. That prophets can make pretty good living. That prophets could be important. There would be these big hordes, these big groups of prophets that the kings could call upon. In fact, we wonder when we look at this text, if when he talks about, even if the king brings all this gold and silver, I couldn't do it. If maybe in the back of his head, he's trying to get a little bit more money out of the deal. After all, why does he ask God twice? He already asked God, and God said, don't go with him. But when they come back, he asks again. Probably because he wants the money and the prestige of going to the king and doing what the king wants. At least, he doesn't want to tick off the king, right? Back in those days, the king could just have you killed. And so Balaam is, is not, not really interested in that. And so he asks God again, and God says, Go. So we pick up the story again in verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. 
And the angel of the Lord stood in the way of the adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. I got to pause right there. God's anger was kindled because he went. Did you catch that? What did God just say in the verse before? Or two verses before. If the men call on thee, rise up and go with them. So God tells Balaam to go with them, and then he gets mad when he goes. Now, at first reading, you think, God, you can have this either way. But you can't have both. You can't tell somebody to go and then get mad because they go. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder if deep down God knows that Balaam's attitude is not right. If Balaam is going forward because what he really wants is the money and the prestige and that he fears the king more than he fears God. But I wonder too if maybe God tells him to go because he's going to just let Balaam have what he wants in the end. After all, that is what Balaam wants. He asks God a second time. Don't we all do this? Have you ever been in a situation like this? Where you go to God to get an answer and you don't get the answer you want so you keep going to God? You don't want to accept what God wants for you. You want to accept what you want for you. You want the prestige. You want the honor. You want the rank. You want the financial security. And so you want to do things your way. And you keep asking God. And you know what God often does? Often God lets us do what we want to do in the end. You know why? Because God knows it's not going to give us what we want. This does not end well for you, but go ahead. It's like, it's like being a parent. Sometimes you tell your kid no because you know that it's going to be foolish. And sometimes they've got to learn on their own that that is not a wise move. You're going to end up cleaning up those toys later. I know, I know. Well, you're going to have to eat the decision that you, that you walk into. I wonder if that's true of God here. If God is giving Balaam what he wants, but he's angry that Balaam didn't listen to him in the first place. So we continue. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. So so he hits the donkey. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of vineyards, a wall being on his side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust onto the wall. And crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. So you you can imagine scenario one. Balaam is riding the donkey. The donkey sees the angel that Balaam can't. It turns off into a field. Balaam gets mad and hits the donkey. Then later on, he's going down a a small corridor with walls on both sides. And the same thing happens, but the, 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 the donkey has no way to turn. So he just starts brushing up against the wall like he's not going to go. And he pins Balaam's foot, hurts his foot. And so what does Balaam do? He hits the donkey again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. So even narrower place now. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done to thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I, would, I, would, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill thee. 
And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass three times? Behold, I went to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou standest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak unto thee, that shalt thou speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. This is kind of this humorous incident going back and forth. And I think the funniest part of the whole story is that, is that the ass starts talking to Balaam. And Balaam just kind of ignores the fact that this beast of burden is now laying words of wisdom upon him. Did you ever notice that? Listen, if you're out ever walking your dog, and your dog starts talking to you, the first thing you address is the talking dog. What is going on with Balaam that he's so angry, that he's so wrapped up in what's going on for him? That he's so wrapped up that he looks foolish. You notice that in the text? That's what he says. You're making me look foolish. He's so wrapped up in what he looks like. that He doesn't even acknowledge the fact that the ass is talking to him. Who's the ass now? I mean, he's that angry. He's that caught up in people's opinions. He's that caught up in what he wants out of life. That, that when God tries to speak to him, and God tries to show him stuff, even through something as simple and common as this beast of burden that he's had his whole life, he misses it. He gets angry and argues back with it. I can really identify with this story personally, not just because I've been called an ass before, but I can identify with this struggle of Balaam to want to do things his own way, to get so caught up. And, and I tell you what, God very often speaks through very common, ordinary, everyday things. If God gave you suddenly this big vision, you saw an angel that told you where to go, you, you, would, you, you would listen to that. That's not often how God works. God calls you to live in faith, listening to little things in your life. And that's hard sometimes. That's hard when we get angry. That's hard when God asks us to do something that's really difficult. When we're not going to look good. When we're not going to get a lot of benefit from the gifts that God has given us. But when did we become so important that we were going to be secondary? Or that we were going to be primary and God was going to be secondary in our lives? And so God speaks through this ass, spares Balaam, And so Balaam goes. He goes to the king. He goes to Balak. You don't have to follow along. I'm just going to read two quick verses out of chapter 23. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. 
And then in chapter 24, verse 2, it says, And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in their tents, according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. What does God do? God puts words into Balaam's mouth. God says, you're going to say what I tell you to say. In a very funny way, Balaam becomes the ass. I mean, you think about the donkey at the first part of the story that gets to speak out because God allows him to speak. Now, instead of the donkey being the, the voice of God, it's going to be Balaam. In fact, Balaam's worse off. At least the ass has something to say. Go back and read the text. The donkey has something to say and God just opens his mouth. Balaam doesn't even have words to say. God has to put the words in Balaam's mouth. In fact, he does it several times and then fills Balaam with the Holy Spirit so that his words are God's words. It takes a lot for your words to be God's words. Oftentimes what we speak is not God's words. They're our words. And the problem is, as Christians, we are meant to speak God's words. Because God's words bring glory to Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sin, came and lived a human life for us. We just celebrated this at Christmas. That, that, that is meant to be the words of a Christian. But for so many of us, our words are our words. And they're self-seeking. And we don't live lives that are full of the Spirit. It, it takes a lot of work to do that. You've got to stay connected to the Spirit. There's a process of listening to God, of reading your scriptures, of being involved and engaged in studying his word. There's a a process for God's word to become your words. It's nice that it happened for Balaam like this. God, of course, Balaam had to go through this whole thing with the donkey in the previous chapter to get to the point. I mean, I think that's why this whole thing happens. I think God knows that what Balaam's going to do is use Balaam's words. When what, what Balaam is actually supposed to do is use God's words. And so Balaam does. He, he does this very poetic, you ought to read the whole story sometime. Very poetic, amazing way of instead of cursing Israel like Balak wants him to, he comes and he blesses them. Blesses them and proclaims God to be Lord. It'd be a great story if Balaam stayed that way. But throughout the entire rest of the Bible, Balaam is the epitome. He is the example of what a false prophet is. Because apparently Balaam goes on to continue to seek his own way. Let me read for you from 2 Peter. I had a ton of examples of this. Even in the book of Revelation, Balaam is mentioned. But I'll pick 2 Peter. 2 Peter is warning the people about false prophets. In chapter 2, verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brutes of strength, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they, are, that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Let me, let me skip down. Having eyes of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practice 
cursed children. Talking about false prophets who, who don't speak things they understand, but they speak for their own benefit and lead weaker people astray. And what's the example that he gives in verse 15? Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Man, I can identify so much with Balaam and his struggle. And I wish it had a happier ending. Because for Balaam, he doesn't stick with this. His words become his words again. And I I wonder if it was a slow process. If just slowly over time, the words of God became his own words. If he got so captivated by his own legend, by his own wealth, his own prosperity and respect in the community, or if it happened very suddenly. This is a time of year when a lot of us make New Year's resolutions, where we try to do things differently. But oftentimes those things don't work. I understand this in a much better way now that I go to the YMCA a lot. Because for this month, the YMCA is so busy. And maybe you're one of those people that actually got a membership this year. And you say, this is the year I'm actually going to stick with it. And I pray it works for you. But those of us that go to the gym, we know, come February, it'll slow down. And it'll be kind of where it used to be. Because people don't stick with it. I think the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We can so fall into the temptation of Balaam. We try to overcomplicate things. We get in love with our own legend. And our words become our words instead of God's words. And I think that's a difficult thing for Christians. I think it takes a lot of work to make sure your words remain God's words. And so what if this year, 2014, you made a spiritual resolution. You decided you were going to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. You were going to try to make your words God's words this year. You were going to just humbly do it. Not like Balaam. Not try to get all the prestige, but a lot more like that donkey. A lot more like that donkey. Just humbly doing what you're supposed to do. And when God gives you the opportunity, say those words. Maybe, maybe that involves being a little more quiet this year. I think if we try to fill space with lots of words, they often become our words instead of God's words. And so just being quiet and listening this year a little more. This year sharing words that are God's words. Trying to pray to the Holy Spirit to say, what do you want me to say? Or do you want me to say anything in this moment? And so maybe Balaam's not the model for us. Maybe really it's the ass who humbly does what he's supposed to do. And when God gives him the opportunity and opens his mouth, he speaks. I thought about getting cards that said, be an ass in 2014, handing them out here, but I didn't think it would go over that well. But I hope this story sticks with you a little bit, as it has with me as I've been studying it over the last few months. Let it be a warning to you to be careful with your words, to be careful with your life. And let it be a challenge to you that what you say this year might be God's words. That you would be God's mouthpiece in 2014. And may your life be aimed not at your own glory, but at giving glory to Jesus Christ throughout all of 2014. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this example of Balaam. We long for our words to be your words. 
We long not to be arrogant, not to seek our own will, Lord, but it is so tempting. So give us strength. We know that New Year's resolutions often don't go well because they come from our own strength. Be our strength. Guide us, we pray. Amen.